From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. If you're a share owner of a corporation, you literally own the company. And it's your property in the form of capital, which has made the production of useful products and services possible, and it's now available in the marketplace for consumers. That capital is now being diverted to causes and purposes that you never intended to support. But it's all because of this great reset that there are people that believe so much about how things should be done that they're using your money to advance their own initiatives. That's Heritage VP Andy Alavastro on an Explains episode last year discussing how the left is using boardrooms all around the world to impose woke policies on us without passing laws. I'm sure we've all heard terms like woke-a-cola and go woke, go broke to describe traditional American companies shifting to the left. Now, we remember the Major League Baseball All-Star Game moving from Georgia to Colorado to protest a voting law. Or how about anti-fossil fuel activists gaining seats on major energy company boards? And of course, the massive censorship of conservatives happening throughout big tech. This activism slash ideology is commonly referred to as environmental, social, and governance, or ESG. I'm sure you've heard of it. Man, it all just seems so helpless. We're getting fed left-wing ideology from every institution in our culture. Where is the pushback? Well, here's an answer on Fox News. Strive Asset Management launched launched yesterday with a mission to remove politics from business, and this is your company. That's right. So, so I've been talking about these issues for a couple of years. I decided it was time to actually translate this into action because one of the problems in this country, Steve, is that the three largest asset managers in the world, that's BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, these three firms basically control nearly every public company in corporate America in an indirect way. You think of competitors like Exxon and and Chevron or Disney and Paramount Pictures or even Coke and Pepsi. Turns out the upstream owners of these firms, some of their top shareholders are the same people enforcing this ideology. Many of them were the top shareholders of Twitter before Elon Musk. And what we're doing is representing actually the voices of the actual shareholders, not the institutions who claim to be the shareholders, but their clients, the everyday citizens of this country. Vivek Ramaswamy is a successful entrepreneur and author. He's also a friend of the Heritage Foundation. His recent announcement of starting a firm that will buck the ESG investment trend and focus solely on maximizing returns is making waves. He continues on CNBC. It's the money of everyday American citizens that's being used to advance this ideology that most of them actually disapprove of. And that's a disconnect that we have to address. And one way to look at it, Joe, is if you got the CEOs of Exxon, Shell, Chevron, and ConocoPhillips in a room, say, and they coordinated to say, we're gonna reduce gas production and gas prices spike as a result, that'd be the stuff of movies. There'd be handcuffs, people would be locked up on antitrust violations. 
Yet today, when the largest owners of those firms effectively direct them and mandate them to do the same thing, somehow that gets celebrated as ESG instead. Man, now that's very encouraging toward fighting this woke ESG mentality poisoning our culture. But more needs to be done. Andy Puzder is the former CEO of CKE Restaurants. He's a man familiar with the corporate boardroom. <laughs> He's also helped many of us enjoy delicious cheeseburgers at their famous brands, Hardee's and Carl's Jr. President Trump also nominated him to be his labor secretary. But now he's a visiting fellow here at the Heritage Foundation, focusing on the consequences of ESG activism and the impact of shareholder resolutions. On this episode, we dig deeper into shareholder activism, what it's doing to American culture, and, of course, what it's doing to our 401ks. We also discuss the pushback and examine more ways we can all ensure that our success and well-being doesn't suffer because of ideological asset managers in boardrooms. More after this. It's because of support from listeners like you that we can continue to produce podcasts like Heritage Explains and SCOTUS 101. And you can help us keep it up by going to www.heritage.org slash podcast today to make your tax-deductible gift. Andy, we've talked about ESG before on Heritage Explains, but it has been a while. Um, so I was hoping you could just give us a quick definition so we just have we're on the same point that we're jumping from. Sure. Well, a lot of people don't even know what it stands for. It stands for environmental, social, and governance. Okay. And what it means is radical environmental policy, uh, social, progressive social policy, such as our critical race theory HR programs, like they put in a Coca-Cola and American Express hmm. uh, that teaches people that they're either oppressors or oppressed, which what a terrible thing to teach anybody. And then governance is uh, policies such as hiring people based on their race or their sex, putting mm -hmm. somebody on your board because of their race or because uh, they're, they're, they're female, um, rather than judging them on their character and their merit. Okay. Let me just stop you. Okay. So these are the things that corporations are factoring in to how they run their corporation. Is profit anywhere in there? Is is making is is making the company grow anywhere a part of this? I well, mean, say, well, the the bigger part of it is isn't. I I don't know that. I think there are probably some CEOs who want to do this that are ideologically committed to this. The real problem is that the people that run the largest uh, financial asset funds in the country, people that run these financial funds, hmm. uh, own. I mean, if you take the largest three. Uh, financial firms in the country, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, if you combine their ownership, they're the number one shareholder in 80% of the companies in the S&P 500. Oh so they use this criteria to force CEOs to focus on these progressive agenda items as opposed to focusing on profit. In, in his latest uh, letter to the country CEOs, which Larry Fink seems to think he needs to send every year, he sent a letter <laughs> to all CEOs. And and he admitted in it that green policies, if you if you pursue these environmental policies, they're not as profitable as if you don't pursue them. Like mm. they, they have a cost. And mm. I don't think we need Larry Fink to tell us that the high cost, low return environmental policies weren't going to increase your profits. But no, the answer to your question, the simple answer is no, these policies 
do not encourage profits. There are very good studies out there from very reputable sources proving that ESG investing is a negative for profits. It's a neg- negative for investor returns. It's only a positive if you're if you're one of these uh, these uh, progressive crusaders who's trying to get these issues through and force them down Americans' throat without going to the ballot box. Okay, so let me let me just take it take it from here. We're in wonk world here, you know, in, in think tanks and things like that. We're not in the the boardrooms coming up with this stuff. Are these left wing groups approaching board members and approaching CEOs saying, "Hey"? You have to. You should do this. This is your. This is your thing. Is this like them at cocktail parties getting this? How is this organized? I mean, this has only really come up in the last few years. How how is it all of a sudden coming to this? Yeah, it really came down quickly. It really permeated our our lives and our economy uh, faster than I think anybody. Faster than I thought. I didn't even know what it was. Maybe eighteen months, two years ago. Wow. And now it's like everywhere. But yes, it. What happens is you've you've got an instance, for example, last year with. Uh, with engine number one and Exxon, you may require engine number one is a small hedge fund, owns very little stock in Exxon, decided that it wanted to put environmentalists on Exxon's board, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Well, guess what happened? State Street, Vanguard, and BlackRock decided to vote with wow. engine number one. They owned about 21% of the company, which is a huge percentage of a public company. Hmm. Uh, and they, uh, guess what? Today, those environmentalists are sitting on Exxon's board. Now, if you're running a public <laughs> company, and Larry Frank calls you up and wants to have a meeting, or somebody from BlackRock calls you up and wants to have a meeting, well, first of all, you're going to take the meeting. I can tell you, having run a public company, that you yeah. listen to your shareholders, particularly your large shareholders. Now we, sit, now we can sit down in a meeting, and I'm, I don't, I'm not in these meetings, so I can't tell you what's said, but it could be that these individuals go into the meetings and say, look, uh, you know, we want you to adopt these critical race theory HR policies, or we want you to... Uh, you know, expand the number of people on your board that are, are racially or sexually acceptable, not based on their merits or their qualifications. <laughs> or we want you to adopt some, you know, zero carbon emissions goal of 2030 or whatever <laughs> they're trying to ridiculously set the goal at. Uh, and, you know, if you're the CEO, you, you know, you say, well, maybe, you know, I really don't think that's going to help my profits. And I guess he would say, well, you know, we're a major shareholder and remember what happened to Exxon. Yeah. You know, you may find people on your board that you don't want on your board. Right. Uh, well, then you got to try and find a way to either comply, you know, do what they're asking you to do or find a way to mo- make it look like you're doing what they ask you to do. Let's get into how they are legislating. I mean, it's, you know, most people think, hey, the House, the House writes the bill. They debate it, pass it on to the Senate. Senate debates it, passes it, pass it on to the governor, the president, signs it into law. That's what it is. It's a big process. It's a tough process. On purpose, how is this legislating? Well, what they do is they um, they go out and uh, and threaten these companies with um, adverse votes on director nominees okay. or adverse votes on shareholder proposals unless they adopt these radical policies. So you've got uh, not only the the elites in the financial community driving this, and they are leftist elites that run these companies. But now you've got under the Biden administration, you've got the government teaming up with them. It's almost it's dystopian. I mean, it, it's this, you know, you've re, you've got the SEC talking about climate disclosures. Yeah. You've got the Department of Labor wanting to make it so that uh, 401k plans uh, can have these investments that don't focus on returns. They focus on politics. They're doing everything they can to, to empower these financial elites 
to take advantage of this incredible power they've acquired, uh, investing our money, to to force these companies to pursue this progressive agenda. Uh, and it and you by doing that you don't you, know, you don't have to get anything passed in Congress. You it's a shortcut around our our political process. It's a shortcut around our democratic process to accomplish goals that they can't otherwise accomplish because they're not popular. I, I wanted to ask you specifically about Florida. Um, HB fifteen fifty seven, which the left calls the "Don't Say Gay" bill. <laughs> Which, of course, it's, has nothing which, to do with which that. Which it doesn't. It no, doesn't say it gay. doesn't say that at all. <laughs> but that's, that's their messaging, and it has caught on. I did a Google search of it, and you can hardly find the name of the bill. It, it literally is – they're calling it Don't Say Gay Bill. And this, of course, has resulted in um, share owners uh, telling Disney that if you don't take a stand against this bill, which Governor DeSantis pushed, which passed through the legislature, they signed it into law. Said we're gonna, we are going to, uh, we're gonna, you know, make you rue the day that you didn't avoid this. Now, they are. Uh, I think their stock is maybe like down forty percent since the since the start of the year. Disney stock is down that way. First, this can't be good for share owners, people that have put their hard-earned money in Disney stock or, like you said, through index funds. This is hurting a lot of people. The fact that Disney is taking a moral stance on legislation. So I want you to talk about that, but then I also want you to talk about Governor DeSantis. Is this a model for how to stand up to ESG, to how to stand up to this kind of thing? First of all, I think um, it, this was a huge mistake by Disney, and it's not a huge mistake for every company to get political. For example, let's take Starbucks or hmm. Patagonia yeah. uh, or Nike even with their Colin Kaepernick hat. They're appealing to sort of this leftist crowd. Huh this youthful leftist crowd. So maybe like in that case, maybe th this being woke is more of a marketing tool hmm. than it is a political tool. Like right. you get out there, you know, when they announced the results of the Colin Kaepernick campaign with, with respect to Nike, that the CEO of Nike didn't stand up and tell the investors, hey, look, we, you know, we were a good guy, the Colin Kaepernick ad, we, you know, we lost some money, but we made a point and we're really good people. Your stock's going to be worthless, but we're really good guys. No, he stood up and said, hey, this ad was great. We sold more Nikes. You know, people came in. They loved it. This was a this was real positive for us. So in that sense, that kind of woke, it becomes a um, more of a marketing tool. Yeah. But with Disney, Coke, American Express, you got to look at who your customer base is. Right. You know, they're not trying to appeal to this. Their focus isn't on this leftist group of young Americans who you know follow these leftist policies and think that Bernie Sanders has any idea what he's talking about or, or mm. that or AOC has some idea what she's talking about, which it's hard to believe that even they think that. Hmm. But that's not who you're marketing to. You're marketing to America in general. Yeah. And with Disney, you're marketing to families and kids. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you don't want just teenagers in there. It's the families yeah. and kids that bring in the big bucks. And if you offend them, <laughs> they're going to react. Sure. And they did react. And I, you know, I did have some people say, well, I sold my Disney stock. Do not sell your Disney stock. <laughs> Buy every share you can of Disney and vote against every one of these guys yeah. and vote against every policy they propose. You know, oh. you can take that power back. Because as a share owner, you have that power to, to but, do that. But don't go there. You know, yeah. if you object to the policy, don't go. We've talked about corrupting capitalism. And now, uh, obviously, one of the biggest um, quandaries we find ourselves in is how in intertwined we are with China, with communist China, who uses the market for their 
communist purposes, they, they take a tremendous benefit from being, quote-unquote, open. My question here is, is if Exxon goes, you know, carbon neutral, that's going to be uh, – that's clearly going to be more expensive for all Americans. Energy prices are going to skyrocket. We're going to be paying that. Are those CEOs who are probably doing significant business in China, are they holding China to the same standard? No. <laughs> you know, Black, I mean, BlackRock has big investments in China now. They went, Larry Fink went over and was meeting with, with uh, Chairman Xi. And, uh, you know, look, uh, they're, not, they're not trying to impose these ESG requirements on Chinese, even though it's a company that actually literally has slavery. Yeah, I mean, right. I, you know, yeah, yeah. I, it's not, you know, talk about having it 200 years ago. I mean, they literally have it now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and but they're not, they're not trying to enforce these standards. I guess the Chinese government won't let them do business there if they do. The hypocrisy here is excessive. And Amer I think Americans are starting to react. People are beginning to understand what's going on. They may not understand the details of what's going on. Hmm. But I think we're going to see in this next election that they do understand how this is impacting them. Well, Take us to the states. Is this something that state legislators can take on? Is this something that state treasurers can take on with, uh, you know, uh, pension funds, that kind of a thing? I mean, how how can we continue to push back other than buying our one share at Disney and going up to the share owner meetings and causing a stir there? Well, we, you know, we didn't talk about this before, but I'm really glad you asked that question. <laughs> I, I uh, during during the Trump administration, uh, Secretary Scalia, who was Secretary of Labor drafted a regulation that said, with respect to private pension funds, that you couldn't invest private pension fund assets based on an ESG investment criteria because it was not in the best interest of the beneficiaries of those funds. Yes. And private pension funds would be like the Teamsters or the you know, UAW, something like that. But the ERISA, the law he enacted this under, doesn't cover state pension funds. Hmm. So you've got pension funds for the state of Florida, Texas, you know, uh, Tennessee, where I'm from, Missouri, they're all uh, the BlackRock, State Street and Vander invest funds for those pension funds in these in these other in, in the with respect to this ESG criteria, hmm. which is against the economic interests of the people that hold it. And it's against the values of the people, of the state of Texas, for example, to put environmentalists on Exxon's board. <laughs> so I, I took what ERISA says about fiduciary duties, and I took what um, what Secretary Scalia said about fiduciary duties in that regulation, and put them together in a state law hmm. that basically says this, the pension assets of this state will not be invested based on ESG criteria. Wow. Uh, and ALEC adopted it about a month ago as the model. American as Legislative a, Exchange yes. Council. They do model policy for state lawmakers around the country to then adopt as their own. And, and, Al and you helped write one of yeah. And ALEC yeah. adopted this legislation wow. about a month ago model legislation. So there are a number of states that are considering this legislation mm -hmm. uh, and, and looking at uh, ways to kind of adapt and adopt it for mm -hmm. their state. Uh, so that would be a huge, that would, I mean, that would be a huge accountability. It would. And it, it really, it isn't, and it doesn't make it, again, it doesn't make the financial markets, you know, a battleground for the culture war. It just focuses on the, the responsibilities of the people that are investing our money. Sure. The people that invest our money should invest it for our benefit yeah. and not for their political goals. And as much as they try and convince us that their political goals are in our interest, that's a decision we should make. Mm -hmm. It's not a decision that the CEOs of these financial firms should be making. Yeah. Uh, it's the wrong thing to do. And, it, and really, it's an attack on our founding principles. Andy, thank you so much for being with us on this episode.
Thanks, Jim. It's my pleasure. And thank you again to Andy Puzder for being our guest. It was so great to have him in the studio. What a dynamic voice. If you want to read his work and other heritage work on ESG and Woke Capital, head over to the show notes. We've linked to some stuff there for you. Also, rate us five stars, leave us a comment, and most of all, share us, share us, share us with your friends, your family, whoever you think would enjoy Heritage Explains. Michelle's up next episode. We'll catch you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John Pop.